0: Well, good morning, River City. It's good to be with you again this morning. My name's Brand. I'm one of the pastors here. Grateful to get to join you for worship this morning. Uh, if you're new or visiting, especially want to say welcome to you, uh, we'd love to get to know you. Love to help you get plugged into the community here. And uh, like Becky was saying, small groups is probably the best way to do that. It's a great way to get to know people, great way to keep getting to know God and growing in your faith. And and so I'd love to encourage you to check one of those out. So excited as well to invite you into our study in the Gospel of John together. We've been working our way through John's account of Jesus' life and ministry for the better part of the past seven months or so. And last week we got to the very last chapter in the book. We, we finished the book in chapter 21. We saw Jesus' gracious restoration and his recommissioning of Peter. We saw how in that story we saw how the good news of the resurrection right it means that doesn't just mean that Jesus's story isn't over but it means that the stories of failures like Peter and like you and like me they're not over because his resurrecting power and the good news of his grace it brings us back to life and recommissions us for his work and such an encouraging end to the book if you miss that one if you missed last week I'd encourage you you can find that online uh, you can uh, wherever you find your podcast you can just search for River City DbQ or you can go to our website at River Citydbq.org. You can find the links for all that stuff there. But uh, even though we uh, finished the, we got to the very end of the book last week. Uh, we're not quite done with John's Gospel yet. Few more weeks together in it. Before we start our next series, I wanted to come back to a couple of passages that are really important, really good ones. But we had to kind of skip over them the first time through the the passage, the first time through the book, because uh, we we're trying to line up our study of John with Easter. And so we're going to circle back around to just a couple of passages that are really important, really good for us, some stuff. that will be kind of like a B-sides album release, you know, like a couple of extra tracks, right, that they were great, they got recorded, but they just didn't make the original cut. So that's what we're doing. And the first track, if you will, uh, this week isn't going to be one specific passage, but it's actually a, a collection of a couple of passages in uh, chapters 14 through 16, where Jesus is talking to his disciples on the night before his death about someone really important that he's going to be sending to their aid. And if you were gone or you're just joining us for the first time, it's important to understand that those couple of chapters in John's gospel, are they're known as Jesus's farewell discourse. And In the first half of John's gospel, he talks about a lot about Jesus' public ministry. But in the second half, John zooms into Jesus' kind of final night with his disciples as he withdraws from the crowd and as he kind of invests his remaining, last remaining hours with them, trying to help to prepare them for the kind of life and ministry that he was calling them them to lead as his representatives after his death and if you remember back to our time in those couple of chapters what you remember is that jesus's words that night were uh pretty heavy to say the least right like not only was the life that he was calling them to lead going to be difficult right One characterized by sacrificial love and service of people who do not deserve it and would not appreciate it uh the call to proclaim a message that was going to lead inevitably to people hating them and persecuting them and even killing them. Top of all that, Jesus wasn't even going to be sticking around for any of that fun, right? He tells them repeatedly he's leaving them to return back to the Father, right? On top of all that good news, right, he tells them as well that one of their very own is about to leave them and go betray him. And another one of them is going to disown him three distinct times that very night. All right, so you can imagine the level of confusion and anxiety and fear and just like feeling totally overwhelmed that the disciples would have been experiencing that night. And yet Jesus knows that, right? Throughout the gospel, we've seen how he doesn't just know what's on the surface. He knows people's hearts. He knows what they think before they even do. And so in love for them, he meets them in the midst of their confusion and their anxiety and their fear, not just by repeatedly assuring them that they're going to see him again, but he tells them that even though he's leaving them, he's not going to leave them alone. He wasn't going to abandon them. Instead, he was actually going to be sending someone through whom they were going to actually experience the empowering presence of God more fully, more completely than they ever had, even with him in their midst. You see, Jesus tells them in these chapters that he's going to be sending to them the Holy Spirit. And as we take a look this morning at what Jesus has to say to his disheartened disciples about the Holy Spirit, what I want to show you is that it's the goodness of the gospel, this message John's been laying out for us throughout the whole book, it's not just that God sent his son to reveal himself to us and to, and to rescue us from sin and death, but it's also that God sends his spirit and he sends him so that we might have his empowering presence energizing and sustaining the lives and ministries he calls us to. He gives us his spirit to energize and sustain our lives and ministries. And so it's such an encouraging passage this morning. I can't wait to show it to you. Uh, But with that in mind, let's pray, and then we'll dive into Jesus' word again this morning. God, thanks so much for you. Thanks for our time together, Jesus, in your word. We just pray humbly this morning that you might speak to us through it. Um, God, we, we need you, as we'll see this morning again, we need your Spirit to guide us into the truth. And so we pray that you would do that, that you would help us to see, Jesus, what you've said, and to believe it to be true. Um, God, I don't have any power to make that happen. And so I pray by your Spirit again that you would do that this morning, so that we might know the truth about you, believe the truth about you, that we'd respond rightly to all that you've said. And so we need you for that. So for our good, and Jesus, for your glory we pray amen amen well like i mentioned we're going to be this morning in john chapters 14 through 16 a couple of passages in this section we're going to pull out the stuff that jesus specifically talks to throughout those chapters about the holy spirit begins in uh, chapter 14 verses uh, 15 through 18 begins this way if you love me keep my commands and i will ask the father and he'll give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever the spirit of truth The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Verse 25, he continues on, All this I have spoken with you uh, while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. John chapter 15, at the end, Jesus says this additionally, When the advocate comes, who I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you've been with me from the beginning. And then again in John chapter 16, verse 17, he says this, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. For unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can no longer see me. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you more than you can now bear. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And he will not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. And he will glorify me because it is from me that he'll receive what he will make known to you. And all that belongs to the father is mine. That's why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. All right. Now, before we dive into these passages, let me just begin by saying there is a lot going on in these verses, right? The whole Bible teaches us about the Holy Spirit. We see him in various places throughout the Old Testament and the New, but this cup this section in John's Gospel here is one of the kind of the most robust sections of teaching in all of the Bible about the Holy Spirit. And so, it's wide in scope, but it's not just there's not just a lot of things that Jesus is teaching us here. It's also really deep and significant stuff. And so we are not going to have time to mind the depths of everything that's in this passage, let alone the whole Bible about the Holy Spirit, right? So this is not an exhaustive study about the Holy Spirit, right? That being said, what I want to do is highlight for you this morning, I want to highlight four things that Jesus teaches his disheartened disciples that he wants them to know about the Holy Spirit. Four things about who he is and what he does that are meant to encourage and reassure the disciples, right, as they wrestle with the reality of jesus's imminent departure and and the calling that he's given them to live as his representative in the world so four things the first is simply this that the holy spirit is the divine third person of the godhead the holy spirit is the divine third person of the godhead let me just unpack that a little bit because that's a pretty dense statement there right now, I don't know about you, but I think it's, it's easy for us to kind of mistakenly think about the Holy Spirit like the force in Star Wars, right? It's like this kind of nebulous spiritual energy that you got to like tap into somehow, right? And you can, like it empowers you to do some things you couldn't otherwise do. And what Jesus makes clear in all these passages is that the Holy Spirit is absolutely not some kind of vague spiritual energy. Instead, what Jesus keeps telling us over and over is that the Holy Spirit is not a power to be tapped into. He is a person to be known. See, we live in a world that's probably arguably too concerned with pronouns, but did you notice the one that Jesus uses when he talks repeatedly about the Holy Spirit? Always, over and over and over again, he uses the pronoun he, not it. And that's a, even more striking when you, when you understand the original language that pronoun, he, it doesn't go with the word that's used for spirit there. that's very grammatically unusual. And so what Jesus is doing there, he's doing something very deliberate and very intentional. See, what he wants you to understand is that the Holy Spirit is not some vague nebulous force. He is a person to be known. And he's not just any person. He is the divine third person of the Godhead, the third person of the Trinity. You see, from the beginning of John, we've seen how John's whole goal in writing his biography about Jesus, right, is to help us to see that Jesus is not just some important teacher or some powerful prophet. He is the Messiah. He's God himself in the flesh. And additionally, throughout the book, Jesus repeatedly, he emphasizes this unique relationship he has with God the Father, and he emphasizes their oneness and their nearness of their relationship. And that really angers the Jewish religious leaders because they understand when Jesus calls himself the Son of God, they understand that he is making himself equal with God. And so they are, that's why they want to kill him. And so when Jesus, in verse, chapter 14, verse 16, when he describes the Holy Spirit as another advocate and he uses the specific term for another of the same kind, not, not another of a different kind, See, what Jesus is doing there is he's helping you see that like he and the Father are, the Holy Spirit is God himself. And this is the doctrine of the Trinity, right? There is one God who simultaneously exists in three distinct persons, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all of whom are fully God and who have always been God. Right, And I'll just say this, we do not have the time to do the deep dive on the Trinity, because that is like a sermon series in its own. Right, Um, But if you have questions about that, which is totally understandable, um, I'd encourage you. We uh, did a series this past summer on the attributes of God, and I preached a sermon there about the Trinity. That's a great place to start. Um, But if you have more questions about that, come find me. I'd love to help you with that. But... In the, in the passage this morning, what Jesus wants them to understand, right? what he's trying to communicate to his disciples, right, is that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He's God himself. He's not some vague nebulous force. And that reality would have been really encouraging for these disheartened disciples. See, because what it means is that even though Jesus won't be with them anymore, God himself still will be. God himself is still going to be with them. He's not abandoning them. He's not orphaning them in the world like Jesus says he won't do, right? He's not leaving them on their own and helpless. God himself is still going to be with them. Just as in Jesus God's been present with his disciples, so too through the Holy Spirit is he going to be present with his disciples. In fact, Jesus says he's going to be even more present with them in a more significant and deep way than Jesus has even been with them, right? He goes on in, in chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. Right? He says, the Holy Spirit's going to have an even deeper, more significant presence with you because unlike me, he's not just going to be with you for a little while. Right? Jesus says he's going to be with you forever. And he won't just be alongside you. He'll be in you. Right? He's not just going to be near to you like Jesus has been. He's going to dwell in you. There isn't going to be any more barriers between you and between God. His Spirit is going to dwell in you in you his very presence with you because the holy spirit is god he's able to continue christ's ministry to the disciples right of revelation and of transformation in an even deeper and more significant way they're not on their own the, the very presence of God is going to be with them. And that brings us to the second thing that we see Jesus teaching his disciples about the Holy Spirit, right? That he's the divine third person of the Trinity, but secondly, that he is the one who's going to teach them the truth. He's going to teach them the truth. Verse, chapter, uh, verse 17 of chapter 14, Jesus refers to the Spirit as the Spirit of truth. He does that a number of times throughout the passages. In verse 26, he says, The Spirit of truth, he will teach you all things, and he'll remind you of everything that I've said to you. In uh, verses 12 and 13, he says, I have much more to say to you. This is in chapter 16, by the way. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all the truth. So in the very opening chapter of John's gospel, John describes Jesus as the word of God. And we saw how what he was doing there. He was showing us how Jesus is the ultimate, God's ultimate, purest self-revelation of himself. He is the very revelation of God. He shows us exactly what he's like. And here Jesus says that the spirit of truth the Holy Spirit's job is to continue to teach them the truth that Jesus has shown them, right? to help them to know and to understand all that Jesus taught. And he does that in a few really significant ways. The first one we see in the passage, right, is Jesus says that he's going to he's going to remind us of what Jesus has said. And you see that happening even within John's gospel a number of times. Uh, we don't have time to go over all of them this morning, but specifically, for example, in chapter 2, when Jesus is uh, at the temple and he's uh, declaring that he's trying to help people see that he's the true temple, right? He's the, he's the place where heaven and earth meet, where God encounters his people. And he says that in three days, or the, the temple's going to be destroyed and he'll rebuild it in three days, right? And John tells us after that in verse 20, he says, after he was raised, his disciples recalled what he had said, and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. See, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the very thing Jesus promised the Holy Spirit was going to do. He was going to help the disciples to remember what Jesus had said and to not just remember it, but to understand it, to understand what it means. And that's what exactly what was going on there. He brought the stuff to mind. He connected the dots for the disciples and he helped them to see what Jesus was really trying to say. But on an even broader level, we see the Spirit's work empowered guys like Matthew and like John and like Peter, who was the source of Mark's gospel account, to remember the things that Jesus said and did and to write them down for us in such a way that you can be real sure, like It's not just like somebody's best guess as to like what Jesus said. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday, but like, maybe this is what Jesus said, right? That's not what it is. You see, Jesus says that it's the spirit of God who brought to memory the things that the disciples had heard Jesus say and teach. And so when they write it down for us, you can be sure it's accurate. It's not just somebody's best guess. See, Peter, he talks about this specifically in, in his second letter to the churches, and he writes about the apostolic writings of the New Testament this way. He says, he compares it to the prophecy in the Old Testament, and he, he says prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as though they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He says, We also have this prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, and as to a light that is shining in a dark place see what he's trying to help the churches to see is that just as the holy spirit inspired the writing of the old testament so too did he inspire the writing of the new testament and that's an accurate account of what said it is the truth and i don't know about you but you i can only imagine the kind of pressure that that would have taken off of the disciples right like these dudes were not seminary scholars they were fishermen Right, Like, if I was one of them, I'd be like, So I'm supposed to tell everybody what you said, and it's Tuesday, and I don't remember what happened on Monday. You know? How am I supposed to remember three years of Jesus' teaching? Like, what? They thought Jesus was going to be with them forever. See, and if Jesus comes, he says, Listen, guys, like the Spirit's still going to want, he's going to bring it to memory. Imagine, like, the rest that that would have brought to the disciples in the midst of that. Like, he got, I, guys, I'm going to be the one. Like, I'm going to be the one that takes care of remembering that for you. Like it's going to be all right. See, so but the Holy Works of the Holy Spirit's work of reminding the disciples about Jesus' word it didn't just stop with them. He does the same thing for us all the time. Oftentimes, God's Spirit brings to mind passages of Scripture or truths from God's Word that we need in the moment. And maybe that's when your heart is just feeling especially afraid or fearful or anxious or maybe you there's you're meeting up with a friend and you might have a word that God might bring to mind a passage that reminds people of the truth about who God is and what he's like and those kinds of things to help a friend or maybe you're trying to help explain something to someone who's not yet a Christian and God just like brings to mind the the passages that you need. I've often had it happen where I'm meeting up with someone and God brings to mind the right passage or the right truth just what someone needed in the moment and I often had this sense of like, I have no idea where that came from because like I did not that's been years since I even read that. And that's because it's not me doing the remembering. It's it's God's spirit. And he promises that he's going to remind us of God's word. He's going to help us to recall it so that we might use it for his glory. So he guides us into the truth, one, by helping us remember Jesus' words. But but two, he also teaches us the truth that we don't know yet. Jesus says he's going to lead you into the truth I think the best way to just explain this to you is just kind of give an example. I remember remember, uh, recently having a conversation with a friend of mine who's recently become a Christian. And we were meeting up and she was just telling me about how it's just some really strange things that some, maybe some friends and coworkers had kind of told her about what God is like or about what following him really means. And, and she was kind of like really just really concerned. And she's like, I don't, I don't know the Bible well enough to whatever, you know. She's like, but something just seems really wrong. Like something seems off with this stuff that they were saying. And I just got the chance to encourage her. right? like even though she's at this spot where she can't tell you where the verse is that says this kind of thinking is wrong, Like God's spirit, she still has God's spirit living in her. And it's God's spirit who's the one who leads us into the truth remember when I told her that, she was one really encouraged, but she shared with me this other story about how before she became a Christian, she had some really strong convictions about a kind of number of cultural issues. And since becoming a Christian and reading the Bible a lot, that, like a lot of those things have just totally changed for her. And it's not like somebody at River City was like, hey, uh, just so you know, X, Y, Z things that the world believes is wrong and like get yourself in line and change the way you think. It's just like, she's just been reading God's word and he's been speaking to her through that and course correcting her thinking and her relating and what she thinks is true. And like, the Holy Spirit's the one who's doing that, right? He led her into the truth on a number of these really significant things. And I just hope that that's encouraging for you. I, there's plenty of you who are here this morning, in the grand scheme of things, you're pretty young in your faith. And I can often feel like you need a seminary degree to really understand what the Bible has to say, or like at least like a couple more decades of experience, right? And I just want to encourage you that's not the case. You see, what the disciples needed and what you need is the Spirit of God illuminating the Word of God to your heart. And if you put your faith in Jesus, you have it. You have Him. And He wants to lead you in the truth. So ask Him to do that. Assume He wants to and will. And expect that God's going to keep showing you the truth. Now, Let me just say this as as well, right? God often speaks to us through people. He uses sermons like I'm giving you now. He uses our time studying the Bible like in small groups. He uses friends and conversations. But the way that you can know if what you are hearing is God's voice or somebody else's that's not His, right? The way you can know if it's true is you check it against His word. Because, spoiler alert, the Holy Spirit is not going to contradict anything He's already inspired to be written, right? So, like, the way you find out. Is you check it against God's word, and sometimes you need friends. You need a community to help you figure that out and do that right. Google is not the greatest friend, right? You can find like a whole lot of messed up stuff on Google, right? That's why you need God's community, and why you need a church, and why you need a people together want to help you do that. But God's spirit, he wants to help you. He wants to lead you into the truth. And so so he reminds us of Jesus' words. He leads us into the truth we don't yet know in accordance with the scriptures, right? But lastly, and I think just as importantly, he helps us to believe the things he's shown us are true. See, it's one thing to just have like to know something is true, and it's another to believe it right? It's another to allow the head-level knowledge to sink deeply into your heart, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He brings the stuff from our head deep into our hearts, right? Jesus says it this way. He tells the disciples, I have a bunch more stuff to tell you that you cannot now bear, right? He says, like, listen, there's stuff that's here that even if I told you, like, you wouldn't believe me, right? Like, you're not ready for it yet. Like, you can't, like, you could could intellectually understand it, but you're not going to be able to believe it, But he says when the Spirit comes, he's going to guide you into the truth. He's going to cause like, the truth of what I've said to sink deeply into your heart. It helps us to believe what Jesus has said and declared is true. That's the work of the Spirit, right? And that leads us to the next thing that Jesus tells us about the disciples, about the Holy Spirit, that he's going to be their advocate. Right, four times in these few short verses, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the advocate. Right? If you have another translation, it might say something like comforter or counselor or encourager. For a number of reasons that we don't have time to get into this morning, I think advocate is probably the best translation. But just spoiler alert, if you find that a bunch of different translations have a different word for the exact same thing, that's almost always because that word is way too deep and significant for just one English word to communicate fully, right? And so it's not like one is right and the others are all wrong, right? It's just like, it's a hard word to translate because it's communicating something really deep and wide and significant. But like I said, I think the NIV really does a good job here of of using that word advocate because uh, in the original language it's, it's, it's the word paraclete. It's a combination of the, the Greek word para which means like beside or alongside and kaleo which means to tell or to proclaim something, right? And so so when it says that, uh, that the Holy Spirit is an advocate, that's actually a really helpful translation because the reality is that an advocate is someone who comes alongside you, who is beside you, right? And they come to your aid and they stand by you and they help you and they do that by both speaking to you and by speaking for you, right? One commentator puts, it this way he says an advocate is someone who comes alongside of you who is for you and who is by you and who fearlessly speaks the truth on your behalf So that's the work of the advocate but the question that you got to ask then if he is the advocate then who is he speaking to and what is he saying well the short answer to that question is simply this jesus tells us that that the the thing the first advocate is always saying Right, the, the thing he's always saying, the one he's, and the, who he's speaking to. Right, did you notice that Jesus, he refers to the Spirit, not as the advocate only, but as another advocate. What that means, right, is that you already have an advocate. 1 John chapter 2, John writes it this way. He says, if we sin, remember that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You see, Jesus is our first advocate And the Holy Spirit is our second advocate. Tim Keller, I think, really helpfully explains it this way. He says, Jesus is our heavenly advocate. He stands in heaven, constantly speaking on our behalf, standing in as our representative before the Father. The Holy Spirit is our internal advocate. He lives within us and speaks on our behalf to our own hearts, constantly pointing us to the work of the first advocate. See, the work of the Holy Spirit is always, always to point us to Jesus. J.I. Packer, in, in his book, Keeping in Step with the Spirit, he describes this ministry of the Holy Spirit as the floodlight ministry of the Spirit. He says it this way. He says, I remember walking into church one winter evening to preach on the words, He shall testify about me, and seeing the building floodlit as I turned the corner and realizing that it was exactly the illustration my message needed, When floodlighting is done well, the floodlights are placed so that you don't see them. You are not in fact supposed to see where the light is coming from. What you are meant to see is just the building on which the floodlights are trained. The intended effect is to make it visible when otherwise it would not be seen for the darkness and to maximize its dignity by throwing all its details into relief so that you can see it properly. This perfectly illustrates the spirit's new covenant role for he is so to speak the hidden floodlight shining on our savior jesus think of it this way he says it's as if the spirit stands behind us throwing light over our shoulder onto jesus who stands facing us the spirit's message is never look at me listen to me come to me get to know me it is always look at him see his glory, listen to him, hear his words, go to him and have life, get to know him, taste his joy and peace. See, the work of the Spirit is to shine light on Jesus so that you and I might see him for who he really is. And he does that in, in the midst when, we're, when you and I, when we are facing condemnation, right? The Holy Spirit, our second advocate, he comes and he says, look at the first one. Look at your first advocate. He he paid the penalty your sin deserved. And so you're forgiven and clean and pure and right with God. And he died for you when you were his enemy. And so if he loved you then, you can be real sure he loves you now. Romans chapter 5, Paul tells us the spirit pours the love of God into our heart. In chapter 8, he says that the spirit testifies that we're children of God. You see, he's always pointing us towards Jesus and the work that he accomplished for us. And he does that just as well, not just when we're facing condemnation, but he, he does it for us too when we're facing temptation. The Holy Spirit, in the midst of those moments when we're tempted by sin, he says, look again at the first advocate. He remained pure for you so that he could purify you. Don't ignore what he's done. Don't make the cost of his sacrifice seem small and insignificant. Let all that he has done for you, let it fuel a joyful, glad obedience unto him. Let respond to his costly love with loving obedience unto him. You see, the Spirit is never guilting you. He's not shaming you into obedience. He's shining light on Jesus and says, He's worthy of everything you have to give. See his beauty see His glory, see His sacrificial love for you. Let that fuel your life lift for Him. See, our internal advocate, the Holy Spirit, He's always testifying to our hearts about Jesus. He's showing us what's true, even when we have a hard time believing it. And He's causing the truths of who Jesus is and all He accomplished for us and who we now are because of Him to sink deeply into our hearts so that what we know and what we believe are increasingly the same. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He is your advocate. But he doesn't just testify to Jesus as the advocate for Christians. See, what Jesus wants the disciples to know is that the Holy Spirit also testifies about him, but he does it as the world's prosecuting attorney. See, chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus says this. He says, when he comes... He will prove the world to be in the wrong. About sin and righteousness and judgment. Your translation might say that, that he'll convict the world about sin and righteousness and judgment. And I, again I think the NIV here is actually a really helpful translation because that, that phrase to prove the world to be in the wrong, it does a great job of summing up what's going on in the original language there. Right? The word being used there being translated, it's this it's a it's a legal term. It would have been used to describe the work of a prosecuting attorney, right, who who cross-examines a witness and who shows the errors in their stories, who points out the holes, helps, them, helps the jury to see this story isn't true. This isn't the truth. And he does so in order to point out what is true. See, that's the way the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and our lack of, of righteousness and our impending judgment. He does it by showing us Jesus so that the, the lies that we are believing might get proven to be lies in the light of what's true in him. He shows us Jesus' life. He shows the world Jesus' life so that we'll see the ugliness of our sin in comparison with him. You see, as people, like we are constantly tempted. The, way, the thing we always tempted to do is to compare ourselves to other people. And there's always Hitler, so like you can always have somebody you feel better than at then, right? But like spoiler alert, like Hitler is not the standard, right? He's not the one you're like, as long as you're better than him, God's cool with you, right? Like that is a very low bar, right? See, the standard God sets is Jesus himself. When you compare yourself to Jesus, that is not a pretty comparison. You can look pretty clean when you compare yourselves to other people, right? But when the purity and the holiness and the unrelenting goodness of Jesus gets put in contrast with you, like the the differences show up real quick. And the Spirit, he does that not because he's trying to shame people, but he does that so that you might see what's true that we are sinners who are in need of a Savior. And unless you know what you need saving from, you never know that you need a Savior is good news. So the Spirit, he shows us our sin by showing us Jesus, but he shows us Jesus' perfection as well so he can help us to see that you and I, we can't save ourselves. See, the the thing, the standard is perfection, and only Jesus did it. You can't merit your own righteousness. Only he can give it to you. And the Spirit shows us well, Jesus says, he shows us Jesus' death and judgment so that you and I might see that either we will die for our sin or Jesus will do it for us. And the Spirit does that not just to shame and guilt people. He does it so we might graciously convict them. See, in love, God's Spirit is showing people that they stand condemned already and that the Savior they needed so desperately has come. See, that's the work of the Spirit in the world. And I don't know about you, but that is really, that would have been really good news for the disciples. And that's really good news for you and me because um, I don't know about you, but um, I've had the just blessed opportunity of trying to take God's place in con- trying to convict other people of sin in their lives. That always goes badly, right? Every time. It doesn't work, right? Because you and I are really crappy spiritual prosecutors, right? Like, that is not our job. That is not our role. That is not what we're called to, right? It never goes well. All we end up doing is either coming off as judgmental hypocrites or we just accidentally teach people that the thing you really need to do is just pay attention to what everyone else tells you to do. People's voices you really need to listen to, it's not God's voice. Ignore it. Don't worry about that. People will tell you what he says. See, our job is to join the Spirit in his work of testifying about Jesus. Our job is not to convict people, right? It's not to prove them wrong. That's not the role of Christians. That's not the thing we've been told to do. Can't remember the exact situation, but a while back we were having a really tough stint with uh, one of our kids, who's just, like just acting like, really defiantly, and and they just diso- they like they just like disobey and just kind of be arrogant about it, you know, like eh, whatever, I'll do what I want, you know, and. Um, not, I'm sure no other parent has ever experienced anything like that, right? Like that's totally unique to Hannah and I, like obviously, right? But in case in case it ever does happen, right? I remember I remember talking with my mom, and I was just like, I'm about to murder this child, like I don't know like I need some help here, right? And I remember my mom told me a story about how uh, when we were younger there was. I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was something my sister kept doing, and she, my mom I confronted her about it and helped her to see like this is like this is not correct behavior, like this is not what we're doing. But she just like kept doing it. And I remember my mom just at one point she told me she's like I just needed to like so I had a conversation with 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 my sister. My mom said, and she just said like, listen, the next time you're about to do this thing that we've been talking about, I want you just to pause for a moment, and if you hear a voice that's telling you to stop. That's telling you no. I just want you to know that is not my voice. That is the Spirit of God in you. That's his voice speaking to you. That's him leading you into the truth. I remember just like the next day, my mom told me like my sister comes running from wherever she was. I heard him. I heard him, right? So my mom was doing in that moment, right? It's like, it's not like she was just being like, all right, God, you're going to have to deal with it. Right? Like, that's not what was going on. Like she, like she was dealing with my sister's sin and what was going on there. But what she was doing is she was putting the ball back in God's court and saying, like, God, you're going to be the one, have to be the one that convicts her. I can tell her this is wrong till the end of time, and that's not going to change diddly squat. God's spirit, you're going to have to be the one that convicts her. And she was teaching us and teaching my sister that the thing we need to pay attention to most is God's voice. It's his correction. It's his conviction in our heart. That's important. It matters. We are running out of time. Okay, I'm just, one more story. I'm going to squeeze it in, right? Because I think this will just be helpful for you. And when it comes to helping to understand, right, the convicting work that the Spirit does in the world, right? Um, I remember in college, I felt like God was calling me to reach out to a friend of mine. And the problem was is that this friend had very vocally communicated that he thought that believing in God was stupid and that anybody who believed in God was also stupid, right? And I was like, God, I don't think you're calling me to reach out to him. And that doesn't seem like, I don't think so, right? And so I remember uh, like wrestling with God about that for at least a summer. And I remember getting back to school in the fall, and just like trying to hang out with my friend and just like praying, like, all right, God, seems like real clear. Like, you want me to talk to him about you? That does not seem like a good idea right now. So uh, you're gonna have to like make it real clear what we're supposed to do. And so I remember one night uh, while we were waiting for our next Halo match to load, right? Like, man, if Like, shooting aliens can bring you to Jesus. Anything can, right? And uh, I think the internet had gone down or something. We were waiting for things to kick back up. And my friend just, like, just opened up to me about some really difficult stuff he was walking through. And and in that moment, I was like, it's totally, like, something just like that has happened with me. And God used that to, like, bring me to faith in him and to really transform my life. And so I just felt like the Holy Spirit was just like, now! Now is the time, right? Like, go! Like, this is the thing you were asking about. Like, Do it! And so I just like shared that part of my story with him and just nervously, like just very like not confidently, right? And I remember like to my absolute shock, my friend just responded to me. He said, you know, I was was, like walking back from class the other day and I was just like, you know, there probably is a God and I wish that I just knew somebody who could help me figure out who he was. Spoiler alert, that wasn't me doing any of that. That's the spirit of God at work in my friend's heart. I didn't tell my friend like, hey, all this stuff that you've said, that's wrong for X, Y, and Z reasons. Like God's the one who was helping my friend to see like the things that he had believed they weren't true. And he was enabling him to to be open to the gospel. You see, it wasn't my job to convince my friend. It was my job to testify about how Jesus had been at work in my heart and my life. And that's not to say, just to be clear, it's not to say like, that we shouldn't be wise and we shouldn't be thoughtful about our faith and, and having like, opportunities to explain like, the, the wisdom and the reasoning behind some of that stuff. But it is to say like, your job is not to convince people that they're wrong. Like That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And like, you can let him do that because you suck at it. right? But he is great at doing it. Like If he can take my friend who is like God is stupid and anybody who believes him is stupid to like, I just randomly think there probably is a God. Like he can do anything, right? So let him be the one that does that. Ask him, seek him, like pray that he would. Ask him to use you in those situations. I hope those stories like are encouraging to you. Like God's spirit is the one at work in our friends and our coworkers and our kids. He's the one who transforms people's hearts. He's the one who convicts people of sin and unrighteousness and judgment. And he's the one who makes the gospel good news to him. And so our role is not to do the convincing. That's like let God be the one who does that. Our role gets to be to like just make Jesus look beautiful, and to tell a people about how He has been beautiful to you. And that's like just side learn. Like that's fun. Like that's really fun to do. Like when Jesus has been good to you, and you get to tell people about He's been good to you, that is great. Like that is really fun. So I encourage you with that. But to the Holy Spirit, right? He's not a force. He's God Himself. He dwells with us. He teaches us the truth. He convicts the world of sin. And he serves as our advocate, right? And so the question is, right? The question you gotta ask then at the end of all that is: how do you experience the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in your own life? How do you do that? Like, how do you get like the truth being spoken to you? How do you get his presence? How do you get his confirm the like confirming love? How do you get that? Well, Tim Keller, I think, just so helpfully again points out it this way. He says, The only way to experience the work of the second advocate is to believe and to trust in the work of the first. See, the way that the Spirit of God comes into your life is through faith in Jesus, to believe that He is the one who has rescued you from your sin who has made you new, giving you new life through faith in him. When you put your trust in him, when we turn from our sin and put our faith in Jesus, what happens is God sends his spirit into our lives so that we might not just know about him, but that we might experience his empowering presence in our lives. And it comes through faith in the first advocate, Jesus. You see, and it's his work the work of our first advocate, Jesus, that we're remembering and celebrating every week when we take communion. Communion doesn't make you right with God. It doesn't change your status or your standing with him. Faith in Jesus is the one thing that does that. Instead, communion is this opportunity for us to remember his body and his blood broken and shed for us, to remember the the work of the first advocate so that by faith we might experience the work of the second in our hearts and lives. And so if you put your trust in Jesus, right, to be your advocate, to be your the, to be your Lord and to be your God, or you do for the first time this morning, then during our time of worship, go back and take communion. Right, there's a table on the left, on the right, in the back. You can dip the bread in the juice as a reminder, right, of His body and blood broken for you. But if you're here this morning and you you're still figuring out faith in Jesus, you're like, I'm not really sure. Like, I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job being my own advocate. Like, I'm not sure I need any other advocates. Like. I just want you to know, like, you're welcome here, and like, your questions are welcome here, and your process is welcome here. But I'd encourage you as well, hold off on taking communion. God is not after religious rituals, and He's not after going through the motions. He's after a heart that says, like, my hope is in the work of the first advocate. All I need is Him, and I need Him to give me the, the encounter with the second advocate so that I might live for Him. And so communion might not be right for you this morning, but Jesus is. And Faith in him is the thing you're after. And so as we celebrate communion, as we remember the gospel together in song this morning, I want to encourage you to talk with God. Some of you are here this morning, and you have never trusted Jesus to be your first advocate. And so you have never experienced the work of the Holy Spirit, your second advocate. And the invitation this morning is that you might choose to, to finally agree with him. It's not to run from his gracious conviction, his cross-examination in your life, but rather instead it's to embrace that what he says is true about you really is. That you are a sinner who is desperately in need of his saving grace. That you cannot merit your own righteousness because the standard is perfection. And that Jesus died in your place so that instead of experiencing judgment, you might get his grace. And the invitation is that you might agree with him. You might let him prove you to be wrong. It's a place of humility, and that's where the gospel always starts. So, some of you are here and you need to embrace Jesus as your Savior and the first advocate, but others of you are here and you are Christians this morning but you just the truth is you've just spent most of your life kind of ignoring the Holy Spirit, right? Like Maybe that's just because you were never taught about Him. Like Growing up, it was just like the Trinity was the, the God, the Father, God, the Son, and the Holy Bible, right? But the Spirit was just like, eh, we don't really talk about that, right? Or maybe you've just always assumed that the Holy Spirit is just some impersonal force that you can never really know. Or maybe like you've just encountered a few too many wackadoos, right? Who, who don't understand the floodlight ministry of the Holy Spirit and who instead are consumed with trying to experience some supernatural overflowing of the Holy Spirit's work in their lives. And they miss the fact that the Holy Spirit's job is not to shine light on him and what he does, but it's to shine light on Jesus. But whatever the case, wherever you are coming from, I want to just say this to you. You and I desperately need the Holy Spirit's power and presence in our lives. Just as much as the disciples ever did we need it. We need His empowering presence in our lives and our ministries every single day. You cannot be the people God has called you to be. You cannot serve in the ways He has called you to serve. You cannot live in the ways that He has called you to live without His Spirit's empowering presence actively at work in your life. You cannot do it. And if you think you can, that means you have absolutely no idea what you've been called to do for him. We desperately need his spirit. And my prayer has been that Jesus' words of encouragement about the Holy Spirit to his overwhelmed and fearful and confused and anxious disciples might be the encouraging good words that you need to hear as well. The Holy Spirit is God himself with you and in you, making his presence known to you. And he is the one who is guiding you into the truth and serving as your advocate who proclaims that truth into your heart so that you might believe what you know to be true. And he empowers your witness to a world by going ahead of you and convicting the world of their need for a savior so that when you get the chance to proclaim the goodness of the one who's come, they're ready for it. God's spirit, is at work in you, and if you put your faith in him, you have all you need to live as his people in the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for you, and we are grateful for the spirit that you send into our hearts and lives we pray this morning that you might forgive us for all the ways that we try to ignore the Holy Spirit, the ways we misunderstand and, and reject Him, but instead, God, we pray this morning that you might help us to seek after His empowering presence in our lives. That you might not just like, be near to us, God, but that your presence by your Spirit in our hearts would be good news that empowers us to know the truth, to believe it, and to proclaim the good news of the truth to a watching world. God, we need your spirit in us. We cannot be the people you've called us to be without it. And yet with you, as Jesus tells us, we have all we need. You want to empower us on a mission that only you can accomplish. And you do it as we rely on you and your spirit, we pray. Amen.